Amen. All right. Well, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Good morning. How's that to start off your morning? It's good to be with you. Well, if you don't know me, um, which I think most of you do by this point, but my name is Jeff. I am uh, the assistant pastor here at the Vineyard, and one of my favorite stories ever to tell is how in the world God orchestrated it to bring me here, but I would talk for 30 minutes about that, so ask me later on, and I'll be glad to tell you the story. But um, now, um, this past week, the staff we got to go out to Phoenix, Arizona for the national, the, the Vineyard National Conference, and that was an incredible time. If you haven't already done so, I would encourage you, you can go to the Vineyard USA website and you can watch some of the sessions and the worship and all that kind of thing. I would really encourage you to do so because it was just so good to like get back to the roots of like what is the Vineyard and what are we doing moving forward, and that was amazing. But as a consequence, we got back late Friday night, so I'm not really sure if it's 11.41 or 8.41 or like 2.40. Like, my, my sense of time is all kinds of uh, messed up, but all the same. Uh, it's good to be with you, and I'm excited to uh, be bringing a message for you this morning. You know, this month we have been uh, talking about children uh, in, our, in our series called Not a Series. Uh, we, we've been talking about children, and what I love about this idea is that children to me, are the embodiment of the idea that what you do now has a consequence later on. Now, there's like the obvious way that you can read that, which is like what you and your spouse do right now could wind you up with a kid later on, right? But uh, if you already have a child, what you do now is going to affect them later on. Um, I like to think of it as a long, drawn-out science experiment where like the things that I say, the things that you do, the things that you believe, the, the, the environment that you create for your children, it's going to have an effect later on. The question's going to be, what will that effect be? Okay, in college, I was a psychology major. You've probably heard this phrase, whether or not you were a psych major, but for us, it was like multiple times a day. You talk about nature versus nurture. So is the way you are now and your behavior right now, is it a product of just what comes naturally to you genetically because of your parents? Or is it because of the environment that you have been raised in, whether that's your house or your job or your school or your church or whatever that is? And the answer is yes, okay? Because they're all impacting you and having an effect on you one way or the other. So um, my daughter is only four and a half months old, okay? And she's like one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. But what, I, what she's really teaching me, you know, people always ask like, what have you learned the most and how has your life changed the most? And let me just say as a quick aside, um, you have nine months to get ready for it, okay? So that, that's like one of God's greatest mercies to humankind is that he gives us nine months to get our, you know, our seatbelts buckled for, for the ride that's going to be parenthood. But Aside from that, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is um, intentionality. Like, you have, to, you have to have a what, but you also have to have a why behind your what. So everything that my wife and I do for our baby is done on purpose. Like, the amount of time that we hold her, because that's important, that what we feed her and the schedule we feed her at, when she sleeps, like, you know, how much we touch her and interact with her and read to her and how often we take her outside and that sort of thing. It's all intentional. It's all done on purpose. When we found out that we were expecting, um, I did what most people do when they find out they're having a kid, and I just got a ton of books. And I'm like, okay, I can read myself ready for this, right? 
Um, this is what you do in this day and age. We're in the information age. If you can't find it in a book, you can find it on Google. You know? but, so I'm reading a book, and, and I'm just sharing one small example with you, but I'm reading a book, and I find out that like, if you read to your kid for like 10 minutes a day, it's going to boost their intelligence later on. Okay? I'm not getting into all the stats and facts and figures, but I was like, that sounds easy enough. Like 10 minutes, there's a lot of minutes in a day. Surely I can find 10 to read my kid. Okay? What happens is <clears throat> the, the baby comes and you spend that first week and, and all you're doing for that first week is you're, you're having people bring food to you and you're changing the baby and you're feeding the baby and you're sleeping when you can and you're watching Disney Plus because like you should be relieved of all of your social obligations and let your house be a mess, like all that kind of stuff. For the first week, yes, absolutely. But then after that, life starts to happen. Right? You start to go back to work, and I'm, I'm like a routine-oriented person, so I, you know, I, I have to wake up at least an hour before I go anywhere, because that gives me time to like wake up and drink coffee and read my book or read my Bible or scroll on my phone, just being real. Okay? It gives you time to do that, and so I do that, and then you go to work, and you work your eight-hour day, and then you come home, and like the grass needs cut, and somebody's got to go to the grocery store, and somebody's got to cook dinner. How are we going to do that? And I just, you know, I just mowed, so now I need to take a shower, and we got to eat, and I want to watch a movie or whatever. And then by the end of the day, where's that 10 minutes? <laughs> where's that 10 minutes that I said was so easy to find to, to read to my child to make her smarter later on? So what that teaches me is that you really, really do have to be intentional. You have to be intentional about the things that you do, but also you have to be intentional in your approach to how you raise children, okay? Now, I'm of the mind, there, 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 there seem to be two extremes that you can go in how you raise your children, okay? On one hand, you have like enabling, where the friend, the, the parent is just a friend, right? You, you just let your kids do whatever they want and say yes and all the rest of it. And then on the other side, you have rulership, Okay, where, where you, you, uh, it's my way or the highway, you, you, you only exist within the boundaries that I create for you, you're going to do what I tell you to do, you're going to go where I tell you to go, and this is a hyperactive parenting style. But what these two styles have in common is they misunderstand what love really is. Okay, enabling assumes that love means that you can have whatever you want. I don't want to inconvenience you, I don't want to impose on you, I want your life to be easy and I want it to be safe. And then ruling assumes that, like, that love means if you would just do what I tell you to do, then your life will be good, and I love you, and I want your life to be good, so why don't you just do what I tell you to do, right? <clears throat> and I, I will protect you from everything and, and all of that sort of thing. Now, the research and the real-world uh, evidence of the effects of these two styles are, are pretty well-known, pretty well-documented. Uh, enabled children uh, tend to not show much respect. They don't know how to take no for an answer. They don't learn how to take care of themselves financially or practically later on in life. And then if you have children who are ruled, they end up having lower self-esteem. They have difficulty in social settings. They're more aggressive outside the home. And they can't accept failure because, you know, let's be honest, you couldn't either. Okay, so I think either extreme, either end of the spectrum has potential for great harm. There's some good that'll come out of it, yes, but there is potential for great harm. So what I want to look at this morning is going to be a phrase that you've probably heard around here. It's a, it's a big vineyard phrase, and I personally love it because I find it really helpful. I love it so much I bought a shirt about it, okay? It's called the radical middle. And I love this phrase because it reminds me that oftentimes balance is the hardest thing to achieve. Okay, it's not hard to go all the way in one direction or all the way in another. 
Just as an example, we're in the month of October, and somehow our Octobers, my wife and my Octobers, they just get booked fast. Like, it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, I know there's something happening next weekend, but I just can't think of what it is right now, but I'm sure I can't do anything else. So, if, you know, if you're someone and, and you've tried to get with me this week and I've said, sorry, I have something going on, I really apologize. That's just like how our Octobers are. But on the other hand, you have like never going anywhere and never doing anything, and you don't want to live like that either, right? So, a radical middle is what we're searching for. Theologically, within the vineyard, we look at it like this, okay? We don't believe that God always heals every single person that ever asks him to heal them, okay? On the other hand, we don't believe that God never heals people. We do believe that God is still in the business of healing. And so there's a radical middle where it's not always, and it's not never, and it's sometimes, Okay? Or when we look at God's character and his personality, we believe that scripturally speaking, God is love. Right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we also have to deal with the fact that the Bible talks about wrath. The Bible talks about judgment. The Bible talks about hell. And, and the thing is, is if we camp out in one of those things or the other, then they start to lose their effect. Because if we camp out on love, but we never talk about the judgment, then it's like, well, what's the love how is it loving? Like, God loves me, that's great, but how has he loved me? Well, newsflash, he loves you by delivering you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus, right? But if we focus so much on the wrath and the hell and the judgment and how bad and awful your sin is, then there's never any hope for you. You, you don't understand or realize how much God loves you. So, we look for the radical middle. We're trying to find that place in between. We want to hold things in tension. That's what we do around the vineyard. So what I want to do today is I want to try to apply the concept of the radical middle to how we raise children in the world today. Okay? Can you track with me for just a second? What are the principles we can apply to find the radical middle in how we raise our children? What does that look like? I believe the best biblical picture we can get of this, of what this radical middle is, is a picture of a shepherd. Okay? Now, for our purposes today, let me just give this theological disclaimer, um, this interpretive disclaimer, if you will, before we get into this. The passages, the scripture that I'll cite to you, they're not like about parenting inherently. Okay? What I'm aiming to do is paint a picture of what something is and then apply that framework to the idea of parenting. So can you go there with me this morning? All right, here we go. If you are taking notes, this is the first thing I will encourage you to write down. I'm going to go one, two, three, pretty easy and straightforward today. Number one, shepherds care for their flock. Now, it probably seems obvious, but a shepherd's goal is for their sheep to survive and to live and to a certain extent to thrive, right? They want to keep their sheep alive. They want to keep their sheep fed and that sort of thing. So what this entails is protection from predators and protection from disease. This includes feeding them, right? Obvious, but not just anything like taking them to good pasture, feeding them good food, giving them good water, quality water. And this also includes shearing. Now, this may seem like a random little weird thing to you, but according to shepherds, um, shearing is one of the most important, crucial seasons of a sheep's year, I suppose. And it's one of the hardest things. It's one of the most labor-intensive things that you do. And the reason that it's so important to continue to shear sheep is because their wool just keeps growing and growing and growing. And if it's not managed, if it's not shorn, then 
And they end up getting hot and they get overheated, they get exhausted, and eventually, in some extreme cases, they can even die. Okay, so they have to do that. So day in, day out, the shepherd is doing what it takes for their sheep to live, their sheep to survive, and their sheep to thrive. They are caring, literally, for their flock. <clears throat> so let me ask you, those of you who have children, are you caring for your children? Are you protecting your children? Now, don't hear me say, are you sheltering them, okay? Some of us think we were sheltered growing up. Some of us have no idea what sheltering really means. But I'm not saying shelter them. Because what, what I want you to notice here is that when a, when a shepherd protects their sheep, this is an offensive stance. This is an offensive approach to caring for their sheep. When, 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 a, when a shepherd sees a predator, a good shepherd does not pick up the sheep and run or take them to a different pasture, a smaller pasture, or say, you can never go outside of this boundary. What a good shepherd does, honestly, is they pick up a weapon. They pick up their rifle, and they go after whatever the predator is. To put it in a biblical context that you may be familiar with, uh, we all know the story of David and Goliath, right? We've heard it like from a young age. We know that you know little guys can do big things too. If you listen to the Veggie Tales translation, like I did, you know you, you're familiar with the story. How David's the underdog, and he, all he had was you know uh, five smooth stones and a slingshot. And here's Goliath, and he's huge, and he has a sword. How in the world could David do this? Um, let me demystify that just a little bit for you. Okay, it, it, it may not work, but it did for me. Okay, when David is talking with Saul before he goes out to to face Goliath. Okay, Saul's trying to give him his armor and it ends up not fitting. And he's like, you're crazy, dude. You're just going to go out there in your normal little shepherd boy garb and have your, your, your slingshot and your stones. And he's like, yeah, honestly, I am. But then David says this, <clears throat> Saul, I used to keep sheep for my dad. And sometimes when I was keeping sheep, a bear or a lion, <clears throat> a bear or a lion, remember that, would come up and they would take a sheep and they would run away with it. And I would go after it. Okay, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm the only one in the room, but I'm pretty sure that like Goliath, however big he was, like seven feet, 10 feet, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't remember the exact amount, but Goliath is a big dude. But I don't think that facing Goliath would be nearly as scary as chasing down a lion or a bear. Am I crazy? Like, and then he says like, I would grab the lion by his beard and I would strike him and I would take my sheep back. That's the kind of shepherd that David was. That, was. that is what a good shepherd looks like. Okay, so there comes a time and a place where we have to be alert, we have to be aware, and we have to be active against the things that are trying to wreck our children, which means that we don't treat everything in the world as a threat. Okay, not everything is an agenda. Okay? Not everything that's on Netflix or everything that's on social media or everything that's in public school is a threat. Okay? This doesn't mean you isolate your kids and, 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 and keep them without seeing anything. But it is important that we do treat real threats as threats. Okay? We have to treat wrong ideas about sexuality, about what makes you valuable, what makes you strong, what makes you popular, what makes you fit in. We have to treat wrong ideas about theology, about who God is, about who you are, about the nature of the world. We have to treat these things as threats, which means that we have to confront them. Okay? This doesn't mean hide away from them. It means go out and you confront it, which honestly, let's be real parents, that means we're going to have to do some work on our part. Okay, we're going to have to understand the world that our children are living in. We're going to have to filter what they're seeing through our filter. And we're going to have to sit down and have conversations with our children about this kind of thing. 
If something makes our children vulnerable, if it comes against their well-being, if it's going to be harmful, if it drains the life out of them, exhausts them, and ultimately could kill them, we have to be alert about that. We have to be willing to take a stand against that. Now, again, I think this requires discernment, and I think that this requires honesty in our conversations with our children. Okay? We're not going after sanitization where nothing in our kid's life could ever, ever be a threat, but we identify the threats and we deal with them. We're also not going for abandonment where it's like, you know what, kid, just do whatever the heck you want. Watch whatever you want. Go wherever you want. You know, there's a place where there's a radical middle and we want to find that place. Okay? Number two, a good shepherd is trustworthy. Now, when you first meet a sheep, if that's what you do with sheep, meet them, I guess. Um, one of the first things that you need to do is recognize that they see you as a threat, okay? Just in simple evolutionary terms, you are bigger, you are stronger, you are faster, you are smarter, you are definitely smarter than a sheep, okay? But they see you as a threat. So one of the first things you can do is just turn your back on the sheep, is just show I'm not a threat to you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not, you know, I don't have it out for you. I'm here for you. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, make you my latest meal, right? And then the next thing you can do is to spend time with them. Which sounds simple enough, but <clears throat> it, uh, there was a farmer that I found, because uh, I'm not a shepherd, you know, spoiler alert, I've, I've never raised sheep in my life. I pet one once at a petting zoo in New Mexico, and that was cool, but I've never actually had sheep myself, so I learned from the experts uh, at Google. Uh, and um, I learned that when ewes are lambing or when they're giving birth, this is prime time to gain trust. Because if they see that they're, at the, they're, they're most vulnerable when they're giving birth, and if they see that you are there, and then they see you taking care of their lamb, that is, you will win them over like that. That is how you instantly win a sheep's trust. And now, Childhood is a time of great vulnerability. So let me ask you, those of you with children, how are you staying near to your kids? In those most formative, fateful times, are you near? When the pressure's on them academically, socially, when they're trying to figure out, you know, what circle they fit in, when, when they're trying to figure out who they really are and where they're really going, where are you? When they're hurting, when they're falling behind, when they're having trouble making friends, when the pressure's on, are you close by? Because being a parent is a 24-7 job. Now, don't hear me say that you and your spouse can never go out on a date. Listen, I am team date night. I am team. You have a hobby. You be a real person, and you have actual interests outside of just being a parent. But at the end of the day, your family is your ministry, and moments of ministry wait for no one. If a you is lambing, the shepherd doesn't get to say, hey, well, wait a second. No, 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 not a good time. Could you lamb later? Okay, they have to show up. They have to be there right then and there. So if your children are going through something, maybe it's time to come home from the golf course. Maybe it's time to come out from all those nights with your friends. Maybe it's time to turn the TV off and to listen and to pay attention when your children are vulnerable. How are you building your trust with your kids? Notice that trust is twofold. You have to prove you're not a threat. You have to turn your back. You got to give them a little bit of space. Okay? On the other hand, you gain trust by showing up, by being near during times of vulnerability. So 
If the question is, do I be permissive and, 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 and laissez-faire, or do I be restrictive and protective, then the answer is yes. Okay, you have to do both. And at the end of the day, you need to do your best as a parent. Listen, I can guarantee you, those of you with children, I can like 99% guarantee you that there is going to be a day where your child does something and these words come out of your mouth. That's not how we raised you. Six words. I didn't have them counted beforehand. But that's not how we raise you. I promise you, you will say that to your children one day. But I also promise you, it's okay. Okay? You have to recognize I had this moment like two weeks ago where I was sitting there with my baby and like I said, she can't walk or anything yet and she's like innocent and great and perfect and all the rest of it. But I had this moment where I realized that one of these days when she gets older, she has to decide that she wants to follow Jesus herself. And I can't choose that for her. As much as I would like to, as much as I wish that me bringing her up in a Christian home and bringing her to church would, would take care of it, it's not going to take care of it. She one day has to decide that Jesus is going to be her Lord and Jesus is going to be her Savior. And I cannot be her Lord and I cannot be her Savior. She has to own that for herself. At the end of the day, parents are people who are in need of change, who are raising children, who are in need of change. Can we get an amen? Okay, that's okay. All right, I want to encourage you in that. Number three, shepherds know and are known by their flock. Now, there's a lot of scripture that you will hear quoted around here. Just about every time that Pastor Joe comes on stage, he's quoting Psalm 139. And then every other time that he's coming up on stage, he's quoting John chapter 10. And I want to go to John chapter 10 with you today. Um, Now, there's a lot there. Let's just be real. John 10 is, is a gold mine. There's a lot there. There's, you know, we can take all these concepts and stuff like that out of it. But I just want to lift a couple of verses and point them out to illustrate this particular point. Okay? So John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. Um, he is referring to himself as the good shepherd. And he talks a lot about shepherds and sheep. And in verse 4, he says, When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And then later in verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know me. So it's pretty amazing. As I was, as I was learning from my, my Google friends, my, my Google Shepherd friends, I, I learned that, or I, I stumbled across a video. And it's a pretty remarkable video, actually. And it illustrates this concept where there's like three or four people. One of them is the shepherd. The other three are just randos. They're just strangers. And they go up to the, to the gate of the pen and they're calling out to the sheep. And you see these sheep, they're all in pasture. They're enjoying themselves. They're eating grass and all that kind of thing. And, and, and one by one, these people step up and they try to call the sheep. They're all using the same phrase and they, they call the sheep. And one by one, the first two or three go, and not a sheep moves their head. They just, they're completely unplussed. They are not bothered. They are just going about their gourmet Scandinavian grass, okay? And then all of a sudden, the shepherd comes up, and the shepherd says the exact same word, and one by one, the sheep raise their heads, and they come towards the shepherd. And sheep are herd animals, so they see one going, and they're like, oh, I'm going too. So, but you see that, and so this illustrates this actual point. This is not stuff that Jesus is making up. This is real life stuff. This is how this stuff actually works. The sheep know their shepherd. 
They recognize his voice. So let me ask you, parents, do your children know you? Of course they know me. Like, I've been with them their entire life. They've known me, like, since they were born, literally. Of course my kids know me. They know what I sound like. They know what I look like. They could point me out in a crowd. Okay, that's fine. But do your children really know you? Do your children know what you love, or do they only know what grinds your gears? Do your children know what you get excited about, or do they only know when you're bored or irritated or, or frustrated because we were supposed to leave 15 minutes ago and we still haven't left. Do your children understand why you believe what you believe about God and why it matters to you? Do your kids understand why the gospel matters to you? Do your kids know your testimony? Okay, it's all well and good to bring your kids to church. Listen, do that, okay? Kids in the building, I'm glad you're here. It's all well and good. We have a great V-Kids program. We have a great student ministry on Wednesday nights for middle school and high schoolers. That's awesome. Let them come to that. But if you want the gospel to stick and to bear fruit in your children's lives, then I would suggest to you that they have to know why it matters to you. They need to know your story. And what that means is you have to get real with them at some point or another. You have to come off your perch where you just say, we're going to church because I said we're going to church. And you have to actually share your life with them. There comes a point where when you're raising your hands in worship and you're singing and praying and crying, you explain to your children, you teach your children, this is why this song about God's faithfulness means so much to me. This is why this song about God's grace means so much to me because this was a time where I needed, I needed God to be faithful. I needed him to be merciful and I needed him to be gracious in my life. And this is when he showed up. The shepherd comes in through the sheep gate. The shepherd doesn't just jump the fence and go in and get to tell the sheep what to do. If you jump in through the sheep gate, the sheep will run away. That's how, that's how it works. So in other words, authority only goes so far without trust, and you only get so much trust without knowledge. A lot of parents are tempted because they're people with sinful past themselves, because you and I are all sinners, right? We've all done it. A lot of parents are tempted to believe that they're not allowed to speak to their children's sin. They're not allowed to call what, what is sinful in their children's lives. But I would suggest that that's the complete opposite of true. In a way, your experience as a sinful person validates and authenticates your presentation of the gospel. But if you try to pretend that you don't have any sin, which you do if you don't talk about it, okay, they won't trust what you say about God. They won't trust what you say about sin, and they won't trust what you say about the gospel. As a parent, you have the opportunity to incarnate the gospel to your children by telling them your story, by telling them who you actually are. The ugly details aren't always necessary. There's some things that are going to be age-appropriate and some things that are not, but at the end of the day, your story matters, and you can't keep up a facade around your kids. The shepherd knows the sheep. Pay attention to your kids. Don't miss what's happening in their lives. Don't miss the rhythms. Don't miss the celebrations. Don't miss the struggles. Don't miss the milestones. Don't miss what's happening. Don't be so preoccupied in what's happening in your life that you don't pay attention to what's happening in your child's life. On the other hand, the sheep know their shepherd. So don't hide from your kids. I'm giving you permission to be a real person with your kids. 
okay? This means that, yes, you can have days where, where you get frustrated. You can have days where you're angry. You can have bad days at work. You can have those sorts of things. But also, I want to encourage you, let your kids know what you're excited about. I wish that my daughter was like two years older because I would have been like, Lena, yesterday Chelsea won 7-0. This was like the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, right? That probably won't resonate with a lot of you because I'm a soccer fan and that's okay. But like, but what else are you getting excited about? Did you read a book that you loved? Did you go on a walk that you loved? Did you, did you see something in nature that you loved? Did you have a great conversation with somebody? Did you experience the presence of God in worship? What are you excited about? Share it. Share that. Be a real person with your kids. It's okay. So if we ever need to know what a shepherd is like, we want to look to Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. This is my whole, my, my, my big idea, my bottom line for you today. I think that shepherd is the radical middle in between Lord and friend. And as we look through scripture, we see Jesus demonstrating all three. Jesus invites us to friendship. Okay? He tells the disciples, I no longer call you servants because servants don't know what the master is up to. But now I call you friends. Because now, through the mystery of the incarnation, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, now we get to see the kingdom in breaking. We can see what God is up to in the world. We can see his, his transforming and restoring work. We can see his kingdom coming little bit by little bit. And we're invited into that. At the same time, Jesus demands lordship. He tells the disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says, why do you tell me, Lord, Lord, and not do what I command you? So he's not just our buddy. He's not just our friend. He's our Lord at the same time. But ultimately, Jesus practices shepherding. You look at Psalm 23 and you see what God is like. God leads, he guides, he nurtures, he cares for us, he protects us, he leads us into pasture. He's our good shepherd. So as we raise our children with the hope of following Jesus in the world, we aim to raise them in a uniquely Christ-like way. We want to love them as a friend. We want to exercise God-given authority in their lives, but we also want to aim to guide them in the way that they should go as a shepherd. So as we close today, I want to invite you to come and receive prayer. And um, I believe as I was preparing for this, I believe that the Holy Spirit put two specific groups of people on my heart and on my mind as we were doing this. And so I just want to put this out there and you can respond um, as you see fit when we're singing to come get prayer. But specifically, I felt like God was saying that there's some out there who are overwhelmed by all the different hats that you feel like you have to wear. And maybe you feel like you are not doing well at this parent thing because you're trying to be a spouse, you're trying to be a coworker, you're trying to run a business, you're trying to like, you're trying to do all these things. And you just feel like parenting is, is the, the straw that's breaking your back. I want to encourage you to come and get prayer because there's grace for you. I also get the impression that there is someone or, or maybe, maybe multiple people, I don't know. But if you have a parent wound, if your parents were, were overactive and expected too much of you and, and you feel the weight of their disappointment in your life, 
Or maybe the complete opposite is true, where you didn't have your parents or they didn't didn't express any joy or displeasure with you. And as a consequence of that, you are feeling that every single day in how you try to live out your everyday life. I want to encourage you to come and pray this morning. Maybe you're here, maybe you're not even a parent, okay? But maybe you need to see Jesus Christ as all three in your life. He's your friend. He's not a threat to you, except everything you have, but you know, that's going to be okay. He's your Lord because you have to listen to what he says, but he's your shepherd because ultimately he wants good for you. If today's the day that you need to come to Jesus and you need to surrender to him as Lord, have him be your friend and have him be your shepherd, I want to encourage you to come pray. If you're watching online, in the bottom right-hand corner, there's a button that says request prayer. And I want to encourage you to press that button because there's a real person behind that screen who wants to pray with you and for you. And I want to encourage you in that. So here's what we're going to do. Let's go ahead and stand up to our feet. We're going to sing one more song. But before we do that, I'd like to pray over you, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. God, I thank you that what we see as impossible, what we see as unmanageable, what we see as unbalanceable, you're able to do. God, I thank you that no matter the pressures we face, that you extend grace to us. Thank you, God, that through Jesus, through his incarnation, through his death and through his resurrection, he's made a way for us to boldly approach your throne. And this morning as we approach, God, we just, we, we, we recognize our need for you. We recognize a great, great need for you that never ends and we need more and more of you every single day. This morning, God, we just come and we ask you for more of who you are. We ask you for more of your spirit. We ask you for more of your presence. We ask you for more of your power in our lives. We just need you. We as a people this morning need you. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you minister to our hearts? Would you heal us? Would you restore us? And would you renew us as we worship you this morning? Pray this all together in Jesus' name. Amen.